Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Michael Radelnik. It's Moody Radio's Bible study across America. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. As I said, my name is Michael Radelnik. I'm professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute, also the academic dean there. I'm coming to you live from Chicago. If you have a question, give me a call. The phone number here is 877-548-3675. Let me say that again. You can write it down. 877-548-3675. If you'd like to ask a question, but you can't get through, or you don't want to go on the air, and you just want to send it in, all you have to do is go to openlineradio.org. That's our website. And there's a link there that says, ask Michael a question. Click over there, pull up a form, you fill that out, put your question there, and uh, it'll be added to the mailbag, and we'll take care of it, hopefully sooner rather than later, but we'll get to it. And uh, that's one way to do that. Uh, Before we go back to the phones, we had the first hour, now we're going to do the second hour, and I'm going back to the phones. Uh, But I do want to mention something about our Bible study resource. Sometimes people would like to take open line home with them. The reason I know that I'll be standing in the grocery store and I'll see someone and they'll come up to me and start talking to me like we're, you know, old friends and we are because they've been listening to open line and they recognize my face, not from the radio, but from the website likely. And uh, they, they say, as I'm standing there picking out bananas, Hey, Can I ask you a Bible question, which I'm always happy to do, uh, to answer Bible questions, even in the grocery store. But uh, the thing that I noticed is that they would like to be able to answer Bible questions anytime. And the way you could do that is by getting a copy of our current resource. It's called 50 Most Important Bible Questions. Uh, Someone wrote to me and said, it's just as though I'm back at the radio kitchen table with Michael, Tricia, and Eva. That's what they wrote. Uh, when they got a copy of the book. Uh, I try and take the most frequently asked questions or the most uh, significant questions that are asked here on Open Line and give easy-to-understand answers that anyone can grasp, whether you're a new or even just a seeker, not yet a follower of Jesus, even to the point of being someone who's a uh, a mature Jesus follower. So 50, 50... 50 most important Bible questions is yours if you give a gift of any size to open line. And maybe this is a, a, a way of us saying thank you, but maybe it's also a motivation for you. You may have never, ever given to open line before, and you think, okay, I'll get that book. Uh, we hope it motivates you and uh, makes you part of the open line family, uh, not just a listener, but part of it. So hopefully that'll do it. Remember, when you give, ask For 50 most important Bible questions, all you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Well, we're going to go right back to the phones now. Ken, listening in Tampa, Florida on 91.1. Welcome to Open Line, Ken. How can I help you today? Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. So my... My call begins with a shameless plug for your Moody Bible commentary. It's our commentary of choice in our house. Oh, great. Thank you. And I'm interested in the chronological Word of God, a chronological Bible. Mm -hmm. And in the the Moody Bible commentary uh, around Exodus 19, it says that the things that happened 
uh, in Exodus, Exodus 19 to 40, and then Leviticus following, and then Numbers following, all happened while the Jews were encamped at Mount Sinai. And I have to think that, that some of those things are commingled. They didn't happen sort of as they're laid out in the Bible. Yeah, there are certain and places, so even throughout, throughout the whole Bible, there are things that are not in chronological order. I mean, Luke... He puts things in logical order often in Luke and Acts, not in chronological. So, yeah. And I've read, I've read the Bible largely chronological, but I can't find something that satisfies my need for detail there. Is there yeah. some... Well, I, I know there's a Bible called the Chronological Bible, and it tries to put everything in chronological order. So it starts with creation, and I think it'll have some of Job there in the early chapters, and it puts it all in chronological order. But Ken, I'm going to make a confession right here. Some people, that's really important. To me, I think it's a mistaken way to read the Bible. Good and good intentions, but really not the way we're supposed to read the Bible. Here's why. When we read Scripture, what we're looking for is the author's intention. We're not looking just at how to put the events in order. Now, that helps to show the historicity and accuracy of the Bible. But for interpretation, what we're trying to get at is what was the message of the author? What was he saying in how he wrote it? So that's why I think we should read books holistically as they were written by an author. It's one of the reasons why I don't like, uh, I've never taught a course on the life of Christ, because it takes... Uh, all four Gospels and creates a Gospel soup. But I want to read and see what was Matthew's message, what was Mark's message, what was Luke's message, what was John's message, and not try and uh, you know, compile, uh, compile them all together. The reason for that is not that I don't think it's valuable to know the chronology because that deals with alleged contradictions and, and confusions. I think that's valuable, but that's more apologetics. That's more defending the faith and the accuracy of the Gospels. If I want to understand and interpret them or the whole Bible, I need to read it for each individual book. And when I say individual book, what I mean, for example, is Genesis through Deuteronomy is one book. It's called the Torah, and I want to read that as a whole. Uh, do you follow First and Second Samuel as a whole like that? Uh, instead of putting everything in chronological order. I'm not saying it's bad to do, but it's better to read books as a whole. H have I hurt your feelings by saying that? I didn't mean to. No, you didn't hurt my feelings at all. You just uh, educated me. You gave me a different view, and that's an excellent one. I appreciate it. Okay. You know, I, I have to be really careful because sometimes I joke around with people. I was just talking about this uh, with Amy and Tahir. I joke around with people, and then some people get that I'm joking, and other people call up and say, why is he being so rude? I was only joking around when I do that. I have to be careful. But also, I don't want to hurt your feelings if I want to direct you a different way. I'm not trying to say that it's a bad thing to read chronologically. So thank you for understanding. So appreciate that, Ken. I appreciate the, the alignment, and your sense of humor is Excellent. Oh. Be well. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Ken. Thank you. Uh, we're going to speak with Frank in Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Frank. How can I help you today? Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Wright, for taking my call. I'm, I uh, 
love your insights and your clear insights. They've been such a blessing to me. Thank you. Uh, my, que- uh, my question is regarding the transfiguration of Christ. You know, I read several thoughts and, and opinions uh, regarding which mountain the event most likely had taken place. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are. Well, there's a traditional Mount of Transfiguration in Israel, but I think that's pretty late, about the 4th century. I think it was found by Helena, the mother of Constantine. She went on a trip to Israel, and she was the world's greatest archaeologist. The reason I say that is everything she looked for, she found. She walked around and said, where did this happen? Where did that happen? And the locals, they had no idea, so they would just point someplace and and she'd say, okay, and she'd build a church. So uh, her traditional sites often are not accurate. So when you ask where's the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, it talks about how the Lord Jesus in Matthew 16 goes up to Caesarea Philippi. It says it in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then what follows is that whole interaction plus some of the teaching of the Lord Jesus about taking up your cross. And then, you know, we have a chapter division, but if you keep reading, it says, uh, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain. Now, he may have left the region of Caesarea Philippi, but the text says that he's apparently he's still there, and he goes up to a high mountain. Now, what high mountain is there? The Mount of Transfiguration is not a high mountain, but but Mount Hermon, or Hermon, uh, which is right there by Caesarea Philippi, that is a high mountain. And in fact, it's uh, got three peaks, it's snow-covered, it's a very high mountain, and so it would likely be uh, Mount Hermon that they went to for the Mount of Transfiguration. Although there's no plaque that was left, so I, you know, I don't want to be too, uh, too certain. Uh, when I'm in Israel and I take people around, I tell them this is an A site, this is a B site, this is a C site or a D site. Uh, a is absolutely, B is basically it's here, C could be, D definitely not, and then I give it a grade of F and when I say forget about it. No, definitely not. So I would say Mount Hermon's probably a B plus is what I would say. Okay? Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Frank. Really appreciate it. We're going to come right back. Uh, this program is called Open Line. It's on Moody Radio. Amazingly, this month, 11 years of being on the radio. Really grateful for it. Uh, And uh, my name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm going to be right back with more of your questions about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. Stay right there. We're coming right back at you right here on Moody Radio. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm so glad that you're listening today. I really appreciate it. Uh, People 
will often come up and say that they're regular listeners to Open Line. And that, that means so much. Some people have actually used it as a discipleship program with people that they're working with. They listen weekly to get a better grasp of the scriptures and what God teaches, and I so appreciate that. When I first started the program, I always say this, I always thought Eva was going to be the only listener. I think I mentioned that last hour. And I'm grateful for every one of you who listens, and I'm especially grateful for those of you who have become kitchen table partners. Those are the people who give monthly so that we can be on the air weekly. Thanks for doing that. If you're listening to Open Line and it's been a help in your walk with the Lord, maybe you'd consider becoming a kitchen table partner too. Uh If you do, I'll send you a Bible study moment every other week. It's an exclusive Bible study, audio Bible study designed just for our open line listeners, our kitchen table partners. And it's it's actually kind of fun. We study something, and I've been studying with Eva lately, and we're doing little recordings of what we've been studying, and they're fun little Bible studies. I think people really like them. And uh, I'll send that to you every other week. Uh, To become a kitchen table partner and become part of the team that gives monthly, all you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org, and it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, We're going to speak with TJ listening in Florida on 89.3. Welcome to Open Line, TJ. How can I help you? Uh, yeah, hi, uh, Doc. I had a quick question, two-part question, actually. Uh, when Lazarus and the rich man die, uh, the rich man could actually see Lazarus. Mm-hmm. So, And they're in Haiti. And I'm wondering, because the rich man sees Lazarus as, you know, in the bosom of Moses. So uh, Abraham, is yeah. There a, is there a comfort zone in Haiti and a hot zone? A comfort Haiti, zone you know, and a hot zone. Well, that's a way to think about it, right? You know, uh, people have written extensive, detailed explanations of of Sheol or, or Hades based on a parable. And I'm a little reluctant to go that far. Here's what I think. I think basically what that parable is teaching is that when Lazarus died, he went to heaven in the comfort, and he was there being comforted by Father Abraham. That's what it means. Some people want to say that there's a place in Sheol called Abraham's bosom. But that's not what that means. It means that Abraham was holding him to his chest and bringing him comfort as a father would a child uh, after suffering a great deal. And so uh, that's what he sees. And then, of course... The uh, the rich man who didn't have faith in God, uh, didn't really live uh, in a way that reflected any kind of faith in God, but relied on his wealth, he doesn't go to heaven. Instead, he goes to a place where he is there suffering, and he's trying to get his brothers to avoid being there. And But he does see Lazarus and speaks with Father Abraham, you know, I, I don't know. I think that likely it's possible that there will be some, at least uh, before uh, the new heavens and the new earth, but at least before there might be ability for those who are separated from uh, the Lord to be able to see those who are with him. I don't know. Uh, we'll see when it happens. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't worry about it. I think the key thing is to remember that Lazarus was trusting God, not in his own wealth. And we need to trust in Jesus. 
uh, not in any self-sufficiency. Jesus died for our sins and rose again. I just love, I saw this video clip of, uh, oh, his name is eluding me. I just, uh, the preacher from, from Ohio, he's actually from Scotland, I believe. Alistair Begg, that's right, uh, about the, the thief on the cross and why is he there? How did you get here? Do you know about the doc? The angel asked him, do you know about the doctrine of justification by faith? And he says, never heard of it. And I just think it's a wonderful clip because finally he says, well, what are you doing here? And the thief is going to say, the man on the middle cross said I could come. It's only trust in Jesus. That's what we need to do. Don't be concerned about uh, the way heaven and hell are separated, the way Hades and Sheol are, are located. Just trust in Jesus. That's it. That's, that's how you know we can be with the Father f- forever because the man on the middle cross says we can come. Uh, now, Amy, have you, you're nodding your head. I think, Amy, you've seen that clip? Yeah, it's a wonderful clip, and uh, I sent it to a friend of mine, and he, he, just, he called me up. He said, I'm just crying. <laughs> he says, I think this should be a test if someone's really a believer or not. I said, how so? He says, if this touches your heart, when you see this, when your, your, your eyes well up with tears, you know you love Jesus. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's really true. So it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful clip. Uh, anyway, uh, we're, thanks for your call, TJ. I hope that helped a little bit. Uh, Bill in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on WMBI, I guess on the online somehow. Welcome to Open Line, Bill. How can I help you? Hey, Dr. Idelnik, great to talk to you again. Uh, yeah, I'm listening on the, the phone app. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, um, I, I wanted to give an opposing view on what you said earlier mm-hmm. about Jesus could come anytime. Um, I talked to you several months ago. My wife went to Moody. I went to St. Paul Bible College. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll forgive you. Um, Your wife did right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> She's in heaven right now, and I'm oh. still here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Hey, thank you, brother. Um, uh, you, isn't it uh, that Jesus cannot do anything imminently? Or randomly, he does everything according to the Hebrew holidays, the feast holidays, Mm. like his return, the rapture, the Uh feast of trumpets, the last trump, because it's also referred to as the last harvest, and he's coming to harvest the church. Uh So you you are saying it's related to Rosh Hashanah, the feast of trumpets, and that's when the—so do you think it has to be on the actual festival of trumpets? Yes. Look, when he was born, he, he was born on Passover because he's the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. What time was he born? Between 3 and 4 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, well, let me just say, Bill, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said that the Hebrew calendar kind of gives us a pattern of what the meaning of the Messiah, the major events of Messiah's life are. Certainly, I don't think he was, we don't know when the Lord Jesus was born. Uh, I don't think necessarily December 25th. Uh, We just don't know. Uh, But we do know this, that when he died, it's associated with the Passover, just as the Passover lamb was a pure and spotless lamb that died. The blood was placed on the doorpost 
And then when God saw the blood, he passed over judgment in the same way when we, when the Lord Jesus died as a pure and spotless lamb, a lamb unblemished, as Peter says, or the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, as uh, uh, John records it, uh, what John the Baptist said. Yes, it's linked to Passover just because the imagery is similar. And Shavuot, and it did happen at Passover, and Shavuot, uh, the Feast of Weeks is linked to Pentecost. That's what Pentecost is in Greek, Pentecost, but it's Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, uh, just as the law was given at the Feast of of Weeks, so the Holy Spirit is given. It's the birth of the church instead of the birth of the, of, of, of the Torah. And then, you know, I think what, it, what it's saying is just as... Uh, when the Lord Jesus returns, it'll be like the trumpet announcing his return. It is associating it, but not saying it will happen right on Rosh Hashanah. And the reason I say that, and the reason I really hold strongly to the idea of imminency, is found in Matthew 24, verse 36. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father only. Uh, it's it's imminent. It can happen at any moment because we don't know when. The Lord Jesus has even self-limited himself. Uh, in Acts 1, when they said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He doesn't say no, but he says in verse 7, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Acts 1, 7. We, we can't possibly know what day the Messiah will return. In fact, I, because so many people think it's going to be on Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, I kind of think that that's the only day that it can't be. But I, I may be even wrong about that. But that's uh, that's what my opinion. I appreciate, but no matter what, Bill, keep looking for his return. Really appreciate the question. Uh, we're going to speak with Molly in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Molly, welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today? Thank you. Um Thank you for your direction and um, knowledge, and um, You're too I kind. just Thank really you. appreciate you. Thank you. How can I help you today? Um, okay. Um, my question is, when the father turned his head, um, when um, Jesus... Um, uh, Oh, at the, at the, you know, commonly the taught that the Father turned away from the Lord Jesus at the crucifixion when the Lord Jesus said, my God, it, my God, why it, have you forsaken me? Right? Right. Did he turn away from Jesus or did he turn away from the sin that yeah. he carried of the world? Well, in my opinion... I'm going to just, you know, that it is commonly taught that when the Lord Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself at that moment, the fellowship between the Father and the Son that had existed for all eternity was broken for the first time. I don't believe that happened. The whole basis of saying that is Habakkuk 1.13, where it says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And that word look refers to looking with approval. That's why some versions translate it 
that God is too pure, your eyes are too pure to approve of evil. It can't be that he can't see evil because how could he see us? You know, all human beings are evil. I don't think it's theologically possible for the Father and Son, the the one God in three persons, uh, one essence, three persons, to break fellowship. It's not possible. So what does the Lord Jesus mean when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a quote from Psalm 22 about the crucifixion. It's, it's a rhetorical question. It's expressing how he feels. He feels forsaken by his father, but he never was actually forsaken by his father. As you keep reading that psalm, you'll know that he has faith and confidence that God is with him throughout the whole process. So uh, that's what I would... Uh, that's what I would say about that. Uh, I don't believe it's possible for the father and son to have ever broken fellowship. What do you think about that? Did I lose you? Well, oh, oh, um, no, there you are. I'm here. Um, so um, let me understand that. Um, I'm saying he father... never turned away. The Father he never turned away. Never turned away. When the Lord Jesus died, what does he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he went right to be with his Father immediately. There is never a breaking of fellowship between the Father and the Son. I hope that's an encouragement to you. God can't be split up. Uh, the eternal fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit never was broken. I, th- I appreciate the call so much. We're going to be right back with the mailbag so don't go away there's lots of questions that got mailed in and and to hear is going to be here we're going to talk about them so don't go away this is michael rydelnik on open line welcome back to open line my name is michael rydelnik uh, joining me in just a moment is Tahira Haynes with the questions you've sent in. You know, people tell me all the time, boy, I wish I could take a course at Moody, but I live in Florida or I live in Montana. You know, here's the most amazing thing about Moody Bible Institute. We are now teaching, this is one of the, I think it's one of the few benefits of the pandemic, if you can imagine this. Uh, we now can teach all our courses. Not only do we have resident students, and I have classes that are packed full with resident students, but also uh, we have classes that are taught in hybrid fashion. That means students all over the world are taking our courses and zooming in right into our classes and taking full credits. You can actually get a bachelor's degree at Moody Bible Institute without ever setting foot on the campus. I'm just amazed about that. What a great, you can take courses, you can take a degree. Uh, It's a great way to study. There's a woman who retired from being a flight attendant and she was in two of my courses when she was a senior and she said she'd never set foot on campus. That was just amazing. And then she got her uh, degree and came to graduation. It was the first time she came to campus. And uh, it's just uh, an amazing thing. And so I, I, I thank God for the 
the pandemic, if that one reason, because it opened the door for people to be able to study God's Word and ministry and theology and all sorts of great courses that we have at Moody, uh, no matter where they're at. So uh, give it a thought. Uh, If you'd like to study, uh, now's the time to do it. Don't wait. It's a great time to study. Uh, Well, Tahira, you've got the mailing, the, the questions. Now, you didn't write these questions, did you, Tahira? I did not. These are from our listeners. Oh, good. Okay. Because, I, you know, sometimes when someone's the first time on the program, they have all their questions stored up and they kind of hide their questions in the list. But you're not doing that, huh? No, I am not. <laughs> okay, good. Well, what do you have for me? We have a question from Troy in Minnesota who mm-hmm. uses our app. Mm-hmm. In Mark Chapter 15, verse 6 in the NLT, it says an entire regiment was called out to deal with Jesus. How many men would that be? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, some, if you look at, if you ask Dr. Google, not Dr. Rydelnik, you know, if you, if you get online, they'll say five or 6,000 men. Uh, That's unlikely. Uh, The Greek word probably means more like a battalion. And it was about five to 600 men, which think about it. To come arrest one person, uh, uh, I have a son that was uh, uh, worked in the Middle East in the military in an anti-terrorism unit, and they would have to arrest people. They'd have 12 people go for an arrest. So uh, 12 guys in a platoon or 14 guys, something like that, that's who would do the arrest. Uh, so when you think about five to 600 people, that was... A little bit extreme, don't you think? I do. That yeah. even five or six hundred is still yeah. a large number. Yeah, yeah. Our, so. Thank you. Our next question is from Yulalia in Florida, who listens through WRMB. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who insists that Palm Sunday is wrong because Jesus came into Jerusalem on Thursday. Thursday. How can I explain it to her? Because I read it and I don't see a separation of these dates. Okay. First of all, let me just say that people get so worked up about understanding the days of the Passion Week. You know, we need to be more concerned about what happened over when it happened. I think people should – I mean, I've been called a false teacher because I take the traditional date of uh, the Friday crucifixion. And, and I think, yeah, that's what a false te- a false teacher denies the the deity of Jesus, denies the gospel uh, that Jesus died for us and rose again. False teachers aren't people who disagree about the days of the Passion Week. I mean, let, let's all get it. Let's, as as uh, one of my sons would say, let's all just calm down about this. Okay. Secondly, uh, I would say, I would recommend that everyone that's interested in this get a book that I've recommended numerous times here on Open Line. It's called Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. Sounds technical. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful book written by, now with the Lord, Harold Honer. He was my mentor for my master's thesis and uh, was one of the great Bible chronologists of all time. And Dr. Honer did just a marvelous job, and, and he has all the days of the Passion Week. In fact, he's got a wonderful exposition at the end of the book about Daniel 9 that we spoke about last hour. Uh, uh, it is a great little book. It's a thin little book. It is marvelous, and it explains everything. Uh, I think the reason—now the third point about that—the reason people 
question what day is because they say, how can it be three days and three nights in the tomb if the crucifixion takes place on Friday? Because then there's one night, Friday night, and two nights, Saturday. How can it be three days and three nights? And the answer is a Jewish idiom that's found in the Old Testament. It's found in rabbinic literature. It is that any part of a day counts as a day and a night. It's called inclusive time reckoning. It's what how Jewish people counted time. If you just if you had a minute of a day, that counted for a day and a night. And so uh, Friday was a day and a night. Saturday was a day and a night. Sunday was a day and a night. And that makes perfect sense as long as you know this idiom uh, that's used in Matthew 12 that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. Uh, so that's, I think, the explanation for why people get all worked up about it. But, you know, whatever it is that makes you happy, don't get mad about it. Just, you know, the most important thing is that Jesus died, was buried, and then was resurrected. And however you count the days, don't worry. Okay? Well, thank you so much for that resource as mm-hmm. well as that note on inclusive time reckoning. Yeah. Thank you. We also have a question from Amy in Indiana who listens through WGNR. In 2 Samuel 24, why was taking a census so wrong? Mm. That's where where David takes the census. He counts the people, right? Yes. Uh, you know, counting uh, in Judaism because of that has become sort of regu- dis- disapproved of, counting people. Uh, which I think is, I've, I've been in, in Israel with ultra-Orthodox Jewish people taking kids on trips, and they have to count the kids to make sure they have all the kids when they're getting back on the bus. And some of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people are saying, as the kids come back on the bus, not one, not two, not three, because they're not supposed to count. But the reason that David actually got in trouble wasn't just counting, but I think it has to do with Deuteronomy 17, that uh, in Deuteronomy 17, uh, it says that a king, when, they, when Israel finally has a king, and there's a, uh, a, a lesson there for him, uh, he says he's, he's, to follow, he's not supposed to acquire wives, uh, and he's not to acquire large amounts of money, but also it says he's not supposed to acquire horses meaning large armies. He must not acquire many horses, verse 16 says, for himself, or send people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. Uh, and the, the idea is don't trust in and count on that very, very large army to defend you. Uh, yes, it's okay to have an army, and God will use it. But some put their trust in horses and others in chariots. Uh, Psalm 20 says, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Israel was called upon to trust in God, not in their military might. And that's why David got in trouble, because he was counting the army to show how mighty how mighty he was. Thank you for that. God yeah. is always our source. Yeah, right. He's the, he's, and David learned his lesson. He shouldn't have done that. So uh, anyway, let's do one more question. You got one? I do. Yeah. Linda in Illinois 
station WLUJ, mm-hmm. a former co-worker said her Bible teacher said by Jesus going to the cross, he only paid for our transgressions and iniquities. The rest is on us. But I've always been taught that Jesus paid it all at the cross for us, and he's the only one who could. What does the Bible say? Well, I'm not sure what that question is, uh, that, that he, he paid for transgressions and iniquities, but not our sins. Is that do you think that's what they're asking? I think so. Yeah. Well, uh, what those are are all synonyms for with different nuances uh, for the same thing. Anything that's contrary to the will of God that we do. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember I was in a course with Dr. Charles Ryrie. Oh, many years ago, about 40 years ago. And I remember the very first day of class, the name of the course was called Sin and Grace. And he said to the class, I'd like you to do research for next day on the biblical Hebrew words for sin. And boy, I hit the library and I got out the lexicons and the dictionaries. And I, and what I found was they have different nuances, like iniquity has a sense of crookedness and transgression has to do with crossing a boundary that we're not supposed to cross. And sin means missing a mark. But they're all reflections of the same thing. And so when the Bible teaches that that the Lord Jesus died for our sins, as in 1 Corinthians 15, this is our message by which we are saved, that the Lord Jesus died for our sins and was raised again, it means all of them. And... I'm so glad that there's some of them I don't have to pay for myself. Uh, I hope anyone listening, if you have never really come to grips with this, there is uh, nothing you can do, nothing I can do to ever attain forgiveness with God. Jesus did pay it all. He died for our sins. He rose again, proving he's God, proving he was telling the truth when he said he would pay for our sins. And all we have to do is trust that. Say, tell him sometime, Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but Jesus died for my sins and rose again, and now I'm trusting in him alone. And if you could do that, then your sins are forgiven, and there's nothing else to be done other than to obey him and follow him the rest of your life. That is what the, the, the scriptures teach. We are forgiven not by our own good deeds, but by grace through trusting in Jesus. that it, Grace means undeserved kindness of God. And so I, I hope if you're listening, if you've never made that decision to put your trust in Jesus, do it right now. Uh, don't try and earn it yourself. You'll always fail. Trust in him alone. Thanks for that great question, Tahira. Uh, and thanks for pulling those together. We're going to be right back. We've got a few more questions to take. Uh, so stick around with us. We've got more calls coming in. This is Michael Rydelnik. Michael that was Tahira Haynes uh, sitting in for Trish today. And we're going to be right back with more questions right here on Moody Radio's Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Welcome back to Open Line. This is Michael Rydelnik. You know, most some of those frequent questions I get on Open Line because of being a Jewish follower of Jesus is 
about the Jewish the, those questions are about the Jewish people. You know, what does it mean that Jewish people are chosen? What's God's relationship with them now? What the promises of God have to do with that? And chosen people ministries, one of our underwriters, a ministry that brings the good news of Jesus to Jewish people around the globe, they are offering a free book called Israel, the Jewish people and Jesus. It explains God's promises to the Jewish people and what they mean today and shows how God has preserved his people throughout history, how he brought them back to their own land, and how we can participate in bringing the good news of Jesus to the Jewish people. For your copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus, all you have to do is go to our website, openlineradio.org. That's our website. Scroll down. You'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus. And now we're going to speak with Lori in Florida, listening on 89.3. Welcome to Open Line, Lori. Now, is this my old friend, Lori? How are you? Good to hear you and to hear you answer these wonderful, interesting questions. It's extremely refreshing, especially uh, before Passover. Thank you. Say hi to Howard. There we go. I will, and to Eva. Yeah. <laughs> well, my quick story before the question is that I met you in 1984 when I was a new believer, and I heard you give a message in New Jersey at our congregation, and you spoke about Proverbs 30, verse 27 that the locusts have no king, yet all of them go out. Oh, yeah, out, that, right? that, 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 those, the four, four animals that are small but wise. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And your comment was that they had holy chutzpah, holy boldness, and it stuck with me. Every time ah. I read it, I laugh because <laughs> I think <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was the... Uh, the the lizard lives in king's houses. That uh, the to be bold like a the lizard. That's that's the, that paragraph exactly. We need holy chutzpah. That's right. Oh, so funny. <laughs> that's great. Anyway, I yeah, I've heard about and um, I just downloaded the new Bible translation, the Legacy Standard Bible, and I noticed that they use Yahweh instead of Lord. You know, meaning uh, mm-hmm. uh, and Lord or uh, not. But I wanted to hear a little bit more about other aspects of this new um, translation. If you could do that, I'd yeah. appreciate it. Well, a friend of mine was one of the translators, Dr. Will Varner, uh, out at Masters University. Uh, it's, I think, a very literal translation on the, on the level with New American Standard Version, like that. Uh, uh, you know, one of the only things I didn't like about the Holman Christian Standard Bible was... Uh, about the second or third edition, they added many where traditionally it says Lord, they went to Yahweh on that version. And I, I talked to the general editor who's a friend of mine. I said, why are you doing that? He said, well, that it's clear, you know, the, the Yahweh is my name, you know, I do not change and verses like that. Uh, so I understand why they do that because it is actually the name of the Lord, but it's for those of us who are, Jewish, it makes us all feel uncomfortable because we are raised in a tradition, and that's why the Bible, in most English translations, has Lord, because that's the tradition that was received from Judaism, that this is the name of God that shouldn't be spoken. And so Jewish people always replaced Yahweh with Adonai, Lord. Uh, and so, you know, I appreciate and understand why people do that. But for me, my preference would be not to do that. But I think the Legacy Standard is a very good literal translation. Excellent. Uh, I can't, I can't uh, say, I can't fault it. Uh, 
you know, but that's a, a translation decision that they made. Uh, just like I prefer Messiah as the word for Christos, so I prefer Lord for Yahweh. I, I think you probably feel the same way. Yes, um, that's why I said I wanted to hear any other comments about it because it looked interesting, but I just didn't know too much. So yeah, and I my HCSB it also has Yahweh very often, and when even I read out loud, I just replace Yahweh with the Lord. That's what I do. I say in small caps. So. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for your call, Lori. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Have, have a great holiday. Take you care. too. Thank Happy you. Passover. Bye. Uh, we're going to speak with Beatrice in Indiana. Welcome to Open Line, Beatrice. How can I help you? Thank you, Doctor. I am baffled. I guide or try to teach a Bible study, and I'm in First Peter. Yeah, oh. First Peter, First uh, Peter three nineteen and twenty twenty one, three nineteen. If you could explain that to me. Sure. You know, uh, when I was on the preaching team at a congregation, my pastor was preaching through First Peter, and he just came to me. He says, "You're going to preach First Peter three, eighteen through uh, twenty two. I said the hardest paragraph in the book? And he said, yeah, that's why you're doing it, Michael. So I got to preach that. And it, it was fun. But uh, it says that he went, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. People sometimes take that as referring to him going between the crucifixion and the resurrection, going to hell and preaching to spirits. But I don't think that's the case. It's what it means is, if you look in the context, it's talking about Noah, that he preached to uh, spirits, well, he preached to people through Noah, and those people who rejected the message of Noah, which was virtually everyone, uh, that they are now spirits who are in prison. So he made proclamation to those spirits who are now in prison. How did he preach to them? Through Noah. And they weren't spirits in prison when he preached to them. They were human beings in the ministry of Noah while he was building the ark, but now they are in prison. That's what I think that verse is referring to. It's going back to the days of Noah. Great article about that by, by Wayne Grudem in his com- Tyndale commentary on First Peter. So I hope that will help you. And I can't believe it. That's the program for the week. Thank you for your call, Beatrice. Thank you. Everyone who listened, every one of you who called or sent in questions, thanks for making Open Line possible. As always, thanks to our Chicago crew, uh, Amy, Tahira, and Josie for helping me get through the program today. Appreciate you guys so much. Remember, keep in touch with us by going to our website, openlineradio.org. It's got links to things on the internet and uh, books available, uh, resources Uh, and how to become a Kitchen Table Partner. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.